Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to Voice of Reason Radio. We are joining you on this July 11th, 2020. Well, I say we, but it's really just me. <laughs> uh, this, this is your host, Chris Honholtz, not joined with my partner in crime and good friend of many, many years, Richard Story. Unfortunately, Richard's not here. Yeah, I'm disappointed too, folks, and I know you'd rather hear him than you'd rather hear me any day. But uh, in, in all truth, uh, Rich is is feeling under the weather. Uh, as many of you know, if you've listened to the program, Rich does have a variety of health issues, and uh, every once in a while they just do get the better, better of him. So tonight is one of those nights, and we just ask that uh, you would take time, maybe pause the show even now, just lift him and his family up in prayer to you. Don't worry, he's going to be back. <laughs> we wouldn't be recording a show if there was a concern, grave concern for his uh, his health or anything. He's just he's just not feeling up to it right now. And uh, we we have been in the habit of putting a lot of reruns up lately. And so I tossed back and forth whether or not we were just going to rerun you to death or if we were going to do another show. And so uh, I went ahead and pulled the trigger on this one, and, and you're stuck with me for an hour. So I hope you're okay with that. Uh, I certainly enjoy it, although it is very strange, as, I, as I've said before, very, very strange to do this by myself. I, I'm, I'm used to having my good buddy there to uh, to balance things off of, especially if I start to go off in the weeds, which I can easily do. Uh, there's an occasional squirrel <laughs> that uh, likes to run up across my path. And uh, no, I don't mean Eugene Clyatt. So, you know, our, our favorite Shinar squirrel up there in the piney woods of Montana, uh, he, uh, you know, he, that's his uh, his name on Twitter is Shinar Squirrel. So no, I'm not talking about you. So go back to <laughs> doing what you're doing. But uh, we're just grateful that you guys continue to listen to us uh, each and every week. Uh, even when we do a rerun, it seems that uh, some of you maybe it's because you haven't listened to the program before. Uh, sometimes I think you guys give more listens to the reruns than they originally got the first time they came around. So I am grateful. And actually, actually, on Parlay, I had one of you tell me you started from the beginning. So you must be like a brand new listener. You were downloading the first four episodes. Um we're sorry. <laughs> Please forgive us. That was four years ago. <laughs> we're, we're hoping we've done better since then. Uh, but we are grateful to have uh, new listeners on board. It's It's been interesting. Uh, I don't like to talk numbers, and I won't use any numbers, but it is interesting to watch the steady growth. Um, it's it's not leaps and bounds, and, and that's fine. We're fine with that. It's just amazing to see God use this show in any capacity. It's it's all his mercy, all his grace that allows us to do it. And we're so grateful to have you guys along and that you give time to, to listen to us. It's still very, very humbling. Um, and, and honestly, I, I about fainted because I got reminded just before this show started that Daryl Harrison over at Just Thinking st actually listens to our show. He told me that once and then he said it again that he listened to our last program and he liked it. And Wow, <laughs> you know, uh, when when somebody like Daryl Harrison, who has one of you know the top rated podcasts out there, tells you not only he's listening but he he likes what you're putting out, I, that's just uh, you know that's very humbling. Um, as Gabe Hughes from Well What said, that's like winning a prize, and I'm pretty sure I can just pack it in now because it doesn't get any better than that. You know, when somebody like Daryl Harrison gives you a thumbs up, you might as well just retire at the top because it's all downhill from there. So. <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. We're not going anywhere. We're not. We we are not going anywhere. 
Um, we, as long as the Lord allows us to, and as well as long as the internet allows us to, uh, we are living in strange times. I, 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 I hate to say this because it sounds so paranoid, but we may have to start considering as Christians, how are we going to continue to move forward and, and getting the word out there? I think we are very used to the idea of the internet. We're very used to things like Facebook and Twitter. Um, it's becoming very, very clear that that is just no longer friendly territory, and it's just a matter of time, especially now in the era of 2020, when anything that's offensive, anything that um, somebody just doesn't like, as long as you're of the right particular class of victim, you can have it torn down, you can have it removed. Um, it's amazing to me, and we, we, we've joked about this before, we, we're watching whole food groups uh, losing their mascots that have been there for decades uh, because it's just the, um, well, financially right thing to do, otherwise you're going to be next on the chopping block. Well, it's just a matter of time, and in fact tonight's topic is, is really going to play into that. It's just a matter of time before you see really anything that is genuinely Christian, genuinely biblical, uh, that is going to be the next stomping ground. And uh, I know there are some of you that are friends of mine. I don't know if you ever listen to podcasts, but I've seen what some of you who are not Christians, who, are, who share things that are not in any way conservative, biblical, or um, kind to Christianity. And there are people out there saying, well, we need to start talking about toxic Christianity. Yeah, that's what I, I actually saw that. That was a post that one of the people that I know shared. Um, and again, this person's not a Christian. This person is not friendly to Christianity, but uh, because we have certain uh, hobbies in mind uh, and in kind and, and things that we do, we are friends. And uh, it's, it's interesting to be reminded what the secular world, how it looks at Christianity. And so we are looking at, I think, the very next step in the progression of things is going to be religion. I think Christianity is going to be on the chopping block for the cancel culture next. That's coming. However, all this probably will take a, a snooze once November comes around and it, it'll quiet down for another four years, uh, unless Joe Biden actually does get elected. Heaven help us. Um, if he does, then you can see it ramped up at, at a uh, tremendously high rate. But... Uh, and let's not be fooled, folks, uh, j just to get a little bit political for a second. Let's not be fooled that just because the country was angry four years ago and we elected Donald Trump, that somehow that anger will be sufficient to get him uh, carried over into the next four years. Uh, look around what's happening. Th you know, this is one of the craziest times that I can remember living through. And uh, there is, I believe, an all-out assault by leftists to replicate the anger of four years ago that the conservatives had, and then turn that dial, excuse me, that dial up to eleven, and uh, that's that. I think that's their effort to try and push to get more leftist votes out there and more control over the voting block. So don't be fooled. Don't assume anything in this coming election. Uh, don't assume for a second that Donald Trump is safe just because we're seeing some craziness out there and there's no way on earth that uh, Trump can lose when all this is going on. Um, that's just my political stump speech for the moment. You know, just don't assume anything. Uh, if, if the next four years matters to you, I would make the time to go vote come November and uh, be, be an informed voter. You got time. 
start paying attention to who's doing what. You know, this is this is uh, it's always important to vote, and it's always important to be informed. Uh, this is going to be an interesting one to watch. So uh, the next four years could be very, very interesting depending on what happens next. So anyway, that's my political stump speech for that one. I, we don't like to get too political on this program. But unfortunately, politics has a way of bleeding into theology. Uh, what we see going on in the world does impact what happens in the church. And that is going to be tonight's topic. Before I do that, I just, before I forget, I always tend to forget this. Uh, so forgive me. I want to remind you, we do have a website. It is slavetothekeng.com. That's our website. Go check that out. This is where you'll find all our shows. Okay. Eventually, I, I'm certain of this, eventually Apple is going to kick us off their podcast. That's just a matter of time. Um, but we use Podbean, which is our hosting site. And we have a website through uh, WordPress called Slave to the King. And everything is is move uh, goes from... Podbean over to Slave to the King. So I think at least for the time being, until somebody goes and uses cancel culture on those two formats, we still have at least that resource. So go there, you'll find the links to our RSS feeds, and you'll be able to, you know, eventually, if you can't use Apple anymore or whatever other podcast app that that you're using us through, uh, you may have to just drop that RSS feed right into your preferred podcast app. So and by the way, you can do that with an Apple Podcast app. You can you can add that in there. You just may not. <laughs> I still firmly believe there's a day coming that we won't be on there. So you can find us there. You can also find our social media links. You know that for for uh, for our show, uh, it is on the website again, slavetothekeng.com. <clears throat> you can find the Voice of Reason Radio links for social media. You can also find the links that we are part of the Christian Podcast Community, and our links for that are on there. Um, it is Christian Podcast Community that has brought us on and made us part of their programming platform, and I highly recommend you go check out Christian Podcast Community's webpage. I'll, I'll put that in our show notes, but you can go to slavetothekeng.com and find it there. And that you will always find good podcast material there. There are plenty of shows and plenty of programs that you will listen to and get all kinds of great information, all kinds of great teaching and uh, discussion. So just highly recommend you check out Christian Podcast Community. Andrew Rappaport and the gang over there has some have some wonderful stuff, and you will always find great programming. Uh, just want to put out a, a, a shout-out. We did talk about this previously. Uh, I think it's coming up this week. Uh, Tulips and Honey has their their uh, live feed women's conference. It is the um, I'm gonna say I'm gonna get this wrong. Open Hearts in a Closed World Women's Conference. I think that's right. And it will be on Facebook. It'll be on YouTube. It'll uh, be in a variety of video formats. Really want you to check that out. And again, I'll put that in show notes. Uh, I will at a minimum. I will put uh, Tulips and Honey's. Uh, uh, group page on there where you, and the, the YouTube page where all this stuff is supposed to be live. You don't have to register from what I understand, but it's ladies, you're going to be uh, really getting a lot of good information from this. 
some of our our good friends like Michelle Leslie and uh, Amy Spreeman from the, the gals over at A Word Fitly Spoken. They're going to be uh, pre uh, teaching you ladies. Uh, if I say preaching, those women will smack me, so I can't say preaching. <laughs> but they will be teaching you. Uh, Susan Heck, another fantastic women's teacher. Uh, so please go check that out, ladies. It's make some time, especially in this time of lockdowns. Um, this is a time well spent if you can if you can do it. So really go check it out. I think you'll be blessed by it. So that is kind of by way of introduction. That's what uh, all the things that we want to remind you of, that you can find us online, that you can share these programs on the RSS feeds, that we're part of Christian podcast community, and that uh, there is that. Uh, conference coming up. By the way, by the way, this actually ties into tonight's program. Really, I'm also going to put this in the show show notes. Samuel Say, he's known as Slow to Write on Twitter, has a fantastic article with everything that's going on right now. The whole racism discussion, to put it in a politically correct term, I guess. Um, one of the books that's out there that's become kind of the Bible for a lot of people is a book called White Fragility, and uh, it's called White Fragility, Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism. It is one of those bestseller books, and uh, I think it was Seattle has people who will work for the city. You have to read this book, and you have to be prepared to, you know, basically take a, take one for the team so that, you know, we can uh, divide, divest ourselves of whiteness and, you know, elevate the black community, etc. Um Samuel Say, by the way, is a black man. He is from Ghana. He, uh, he was a boy. He grew up in Ghana. He came from the UK. He uh, has a very, I think, knowledgeable, uh, is very knowledgeable about issues of race, but is also very knowledgeable about the Bible. He is a very intelligent man. And, uh, of course, some people will probably say, well, you're saying that because he's on your team. No, he's just smart, <laughs> okay? He knows the Bible. And I really recommend you check out his article on uh, re with regard to that. He, uh, he, he is, like I said, he's from Ghana. He's, uh, he's Canadian. He lives in Brampton, he, uh, a city outside of Toronto. He is a member of Grace Fellowship Church. He's a community liaison for the Can Canadian Center for Bioethical Reform. The man is smart. Okay, he knows the word. He knows these issues, but I'm going to recommend you read his uh, article titled "White Fragility Is Pro Racism." It's a review of the book "White Fragility," and I think he does a really good job exposing many of the problems that this book presents. And he, uh, let's just put it this way: you'll read this, and you will thank him for taking one for the team, because as he says in the first line. When I was a boy in Ghana, I once had a massive nail pierced through my foot, and I suffered through a makeshift uh, suffered through a makeshift surgery by my mom without anesthesia, and that was significantly more enjoyable than reading this book. It's astonishingly bad. <laughs> so you will have, uh, I think, you'll you'll get some good information about a book that you one of these days you may find is required reading on your job. So at least you're prepared. So I will share that, but please check it out. Okay, I've been rambling for 15 minutes, which is usually what we do even when Rich is here. So I guess I'm on track. <laughs> so let, let me just put up what we're talking about tonight. Sorry, I had to take a, a sip there. My mouth's getting a little dry. Um, what, am, what are we going to talk about tonight? 
I, t I said this earlier. I think with everything that's going on, what are we watching ha watching happening now in 2020? Which is weird to say because 2020 used to be a news show. Now it's a year that we'll remember, we'll remember with great trepidation. Um, what's going on in this time? Protests. Riots. Calls for reform of in, in societal levels criminal justice, politics, uh, calls for tearing down of monuments that offend us, calls for rewriting history, calls for destroying the capitalist style of, uh, of society that we have prospered in, tearing it down and creating a socialist utopia. It, we're talking about Marxism 101. I mean, that's exactly what it is. And anymore, it used to be if you said someone was a Marxist, we all kind of shuddered. And are you really sure you want to use that language? And, and people would deny it, even though they practiced it. Today, you've got people who are co-founding groups like Black Lives Matter saying they are trained Marxists. And they, they uphold Karl Marx as if he's some sort of messiah. Um, what is going on? What's Where are we headed with this? Well, I think... Uh, thanks to NPR, I think we're going to see one of the next steps. NPR, which is a, you know, a radio program, and they have their website at npr.org, has an article, which is also, I think, a, a, a radio spot that they did. It's, uh, as it says on the article itself, it's a seven-minute listen. So if you were listening on July 1st, you would have heard this program on NPR. This is an article that's from that. And the headline is "White Supremacists, White Supremacist Ideas, Excuse Me, Have Historical Roots in U.S. Christianity." That's the next step. See, we've gone after the police, we've gone after historical figures, we've gone after popular culture and products. But where did this all stem from? Well, we all know that the founding of our nation may not have been this distinctly Christian, okay? And what I mean by that is we didn't have everything about the uh, founding of our nation drawn st strictly out of the Bible. The Bible had much influence. And when we have things like the practice of religion as a an enshrined protected right in the Constitution, they had in mind Christianity. Because remember where they came from. They came from England, where you had the Church of England. And if you were not Church of England, and this is where knowing your church history comes into play, by the way, go read uh, Nate Pickowitz's and Dustin Benj's book on that. Uh, I'll throw that in the show notes as well. You will learn some great information about the, the uh, American Puritans, title of the book, American Puritans, who came here and why. And it was because of persecution from the Church of England. So that was part of what they held to very close. Even if they didn't fully believe, and many of our founding fathers were deists, they believed in a God, uh, they believed in a creator, but it wasn't necessarily Christian. Many of our founding fathers were Christians. And some of them were flat-out secularists. That means that it had an influence, a strong influence on the founding of our nation. So if you are a, uh, a movement to, that seeks to unseat the current climate, the current system, the current way of thinking, you're going to have to go after the roots. 
That's why monuments are being torn down. You want monuments torn down because you don't want anybody looking to the past to see where we've come from. You want them to be ashamed of the past. Well, it's just a matter of time before Christianity, which has so much of its belief system built into our way, uh, our system of government, that it has to be one of the next things on the chopping block. You have to root that out. I mean, stop and think about it. Why do we have a separation of powers? If you believe that man is basically good, then you don't really have a problem with man having power. But if you believe that man is basically evil, that he will abuse power, you break up power. That's why we have three branches of government, so that power could not be rooted into any one place, which, by the way, is why we really... I know everybody thinks about, well, we need to have control of the Congress, we need to have the President, we need to have the uh, Supreme Court, we need to have everybody on our side. And there's some noble thinking behind that, but it also is why you have to be very cautious with that and remember that there has to be checks and balances and that just having one group who isn't always on the Christian side, by the way. Republicans long abandoned anything that's truly Christian. But that separation of powers is there because we, we the Founding Fathers recognized the, the problem with men having power. So you have to go after the roots. You have to. So why is this article and radio spot on NPR such a problem? Because it's laying that foundation. Much of what this article says is actually some, is really kind of been repeated. And basically what it's going to go back to is there was slavery in the South. There were Christians who said slavery and racism and separation of races was a good thing. And they used the Bible to do so. And there are Christians today, today who don't jump on the critical race theory train. So Christianity has a problem. That's that, that's the crux of the argument. That's really what this article is about. That's what this radio spot talks about. Now, I want to make some, uh, some initial thoughts about this article. This article is written as a kind of a personal perspective, so to speak. You have multiple personal anecdotes. It starts with, I'll, I'll just give you this, uh, this first couple paragraphs, and I'm not going to read the whole article to you. Um, I, I just encourage you to go read it for yourself or listen to the play, uh, playback that they have. And it says, When a young Southern Baptist pastor named Alan Cross arrived in Montgomery, Alabama in G January of 2000, he knew it was where the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. had his first church and where Rosa Parks helped launch the famous bus boycott. But he didn't know some of the other details of the city's role in the civil rights history. The more he learned, the more troubled he became by one event in particular, and it goes on from there. And it talks about this uh, group of people back in May of 1961. They called themselves the Freedom Riders. They were, they were coming into the state. They were trying to, you know, basically protest and fight against segregation. They got off the bus and they got the living tar beat out of them by the people coming out of that, coming up, up to that bus. And interestingly, you know, in referring to this particular pastor, this uh, Alan Cross, he had a thought that occurred to him, which was, quote, why didn't white Christians show up? That's where this article starts. Why is that important? It's an emotional tug. It's pulling on the heartstrings. The entirety of this article is 
personal anecdotes about historical figures and what they said and what they did, and then ultimately culminating in modern-day Christianity where you have biblical Christians who want to preach the gospel compared with uh, critical race theory, quote, Christians who think that the church needs to be involved in changing the culture. By the time you're done with this article, you feel like, I need to do something. The church isn't doing anything. That's the whole point of the article. It There's nothing in here in terms of actual data points. It doesn't talk about statistics. It doesn't talk about actual uh, issues that have where, where it was bad to where it got worse and to where it got better and where we are today. None of that's there. Um, it's interesting because it likes to point out certain persons historically that either advocated for slavery or segregation, but it lived and and how they pointed to you know the Bible and how that supposedly justified what they believed. But it does have an interesting absence of information, and that's mm, people like John Adams, one of our founding fathers, who was a Christian who hated slavery and wanted to see it abolished. That's not talked about. Doesn't talk about the abolitionist movement. Doesn't talk about the people who, through the Bible, said owning slaves was bad and fought against it. That's not in the article. There's no effort to actually refer to scriptural teachings in context. Again, this is pointing to a couple of people historically that are problematic who are seen as orthodox in their Christian beliefs and basically say, how can this be the case that we look at that and go, that's not a problem. This type of writing is meant to tug at your emotions. It's not really to inform or educate. It's meant to manipulate your emotions. And you need to understand that. That's not what, you know, this isn't actually trying to teach you something. It's trying to change your thinking by making you feel bad. So its intention is to make you feel like Christians have not only been at fault for preaching racism, but also that, we're bad because we don't want to get involved and we want things to be status quo. So that's a problem when we're talking about an article like this. And unfortunately today, this type of radio spot or article or even a book like White Fragility is seen as informative, is seen as scholarly. It's seen as so important because it addresses these issues that these people don't want to address. But it's simply not true. It's simply not true. It's meant to manipulate information. It gives you just enough historical facts to make it seem like there's there's historical analysis going on. But it plays with your emotions. It goes from that initial topic or entry of the Southern Baptist, Southern Baptist pastor who comes in, hears about this this terrible event that happened in May of 1961 and and how he just can't believe white Christians weren't involved in, in, in trying to change these things. And that's an interesting perspective because I would be interested to know how much historical analysis NPR did to find out how many white Christians were involved because there were white, you know, uh, white people and black people who were involved in the civil rights movement. So why is that not mentioned? This is emotional manipulation. They don't want you to think there was anybody involved. You know, there's not an, there's not effort in this article to address that, and how this individual has written a book about these issues and how he teaches people um, 
you know, when they come here, that they need to know about these things, etc. And it, tra- it goes from that to what the next subheading is racism from the pulpit. And it talks about uh, a preacher in that at that same time uh, in 1961 in that same area, Montgomery, Alabama, of Henry Lyon Jr., who was a prominent preacher at the time, and talks about how he declared that uh, the separation of the races was a, was a thing from God, that it was to be honored, and that uh, his church would be a white church a hundred years from now, etc. And gives you a couple of people who saw that, and as they grew up in life, saw that as being problematic. And then goes to the issue of slavery and the Bible, and goes back earlier in history, and talks about uh, James Henley Thor- Thornwell, who preached that, you know, that slavery was was fine with God because the Bible talks about slavery. And then talks about the Southern way. And they just want to protect their way of life. And there's really, we really don't want to rock the boat. And so there's not an effort to get involved with really pushing the issue on racism. It talks about uh, Henry Lyon III, who was the grandson of, of the, the preacher from 1961, who was didn't have just a white church. He was willing to have everybody come, but he wasn't outspoken on the issue of slavery. So, uh, you know, as his wife tells, uh, tells an NPR in an interview that where they were, Selma, um, I think it was the town, well, they just weren't ready for it. And he knew he wouldn't accomplish anything if everybody was upset. And so what does this do? This whole, it gets into the final end, church and the status quo is the final subheading, talking about how there's, or not final, but next to last uh, subheading. And the last one is theology of inaction. And it talks about, it compares to churches that they feel like we're just going to preach the gospel because it's an issue of salvation. And we want to, we want to preach that, preach righteousness and holiness compared to people who are, trying to teach, quote, unifying messages. And, uh, you know, not, you know, there's a problem with churches that won't deal with an issue when the president says something racially charged or when people get shot and stuff like that. And that the church isn't challenging them to, to see this. What does this mean for me as a white person? But what does it mean for me as a follower of Jesus Christ? And so, Ultimately, it, it culminates in, as I said, that in that issue of a theology of inaction, where we just it tells the 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 listener or the reader of the article that the church just doesn't want to get involved. It sees it as so, this is all theological uh, liberalism, and it's we just dismiss it. So that's kind of the 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 whole issue is that it wants to paint a particular picture that the church has had a history of being okay with segregation and racism, that the church hasn't been willing to push the issue for fear of rocking the boat, that the church is just concerned about preaching the gospel and not worried about what's going on in culture. And ultimately, we just, we feel like we can be dismissive of it and allow things to be status quo because this this is all liberalism. So that's the, the crux of this article. And that's really important because what what's the headline? What's the thing that grabs you when you first look at this? It's the title. White supremacist ideas 
have historical roots in U.S. Christianity. Really? Because the historical roots they point to are two people. One man from 1961 who happened to be the pastor at the same time that the incident with the people coming off the bus, when they got beaten up, he preached that segregation was a, a, God, a, a God thing and it was good. And then going back in time further to a preacher who said that slavery wasn't a sin. Those are the two historical issues. That's it. That's all this article gives you. But it's meant to tell you that the entire Southern, uh, entire Southern Christianity is based in this problematic thinking. But it gives you two examples. That's a problem. So let's go to what Christianity in the U.S., uh, you know, what is it? Is it really a an issue that's rooted in Christianity here in the U.S.? Let's start with what Christianity actually teaches. So this is you know, what's the first thing that the that we need to talk about? Does Christianity preach slavery and racism as was practiced in the South? That's an article. That's a, that's a question. The article actually avoids, and I think intentionally so. Because they don't want to actually get into what the Bible actually teaches. They want to deal with, well, these people did some bad things. Those people did some bad things. It's not arguable. What did the Bible actually teach versus what they said? That's the question. So Christianity, uh, when it's drawn from the actual scriptures in context, context, I believe, condemns slavery as it was practiced in early America. Exodus 21.16 says, Whoever steals a man and sells him, and anyone found in possession of him, shall be put to death. So this idea that you steal someone, kind of like what was going on in Africa during the slave trade, and you sell him, that's, that's condemned in Scripture. And if you bought that person, you're condemned in Scripture. Now, I did show my notes to Rich before the show started, and one of the things that Rich points out is he believes that this passage refers to the fact of stealing someone else's slave. But the simple fact is you weren't to steal a person. You couldn't just steal someone and, and sell them into slavery. As was practiced during those times, there was a couple of ways that slavery did occur that wasn't wouldn't have been in, in violation of this. Number one was that you owed a debt, and the only way it could be paid was to be you or your family even could be put into slavery. Another was indentured servitude, where you yourself, to pay your debts, intentionally, voluntarily went into slavery. So there was a form of slavery that was not sinful because you weren't going out and just clonking somebody on the head and bringing them back and say, you work in my fields now. So what we saw... In the days of the slave trade, you had the slave triangle going on. That would have been sinful in the eyes of God. However, Scripture, when it talks of slavery, and, it, and this is one of the things uh, my brother Rich points out that I thought was really fantastic. You know, the first thing that I would say is that slave, you know, the the laws that God gave regarding slavery protected people. You couldn't just, you know, kill a slave. You couldn't beat them unjustly. You could be held accountable for those things. So people look at the laws governing slavery and say, 
oh, the, the, the Bible allows for slavery. No, the Bible actually protects people inside those, those slavery uh, confines. That if you abuse these things, God would hold you accountable. You were to be held accountable. You had to make amends if somebody who was a servant and a, and a slave in your home, you were held accountable if you did th- if you did these things wrong. But the secularist, the non-Christian, wants to point to that and say, "Oh, your God is terrible because He allowed for slavery." It it protected, and it held punishment for people who were uh, who were, who were in the practice of having someone as a slave. Additionally, if you were entered into slavery because you owed a debt or you purposely entered yourself into servitude and then you ran away or you did something wrong, there were, you were held accountable. If you did something wrong as a slave, you were held accountable, but you weren't to be abused for it. So these were, these were protections. It's kind of like when the, uh, when the Pharisees come to Jesus and say, well, Moses said we could just give our wives a certificate of divorce. He says, because of the hardness of your hearts. God never wanted uh, divorce, but Moses gave you rules for divorce because he knew what you would do. You would just abuse it. So there was protections in place. So that was one thing. Scripture does not in any way, shape, or form allow for the type of slavery we saw in early American history. I believe it condemns it. So, when we see these commands, we also have to recognize that, you know, it wasn't just uh, saying that slavery was okay, but it was also commanding not only the slave to honor his master, but the master to rightly treat his slave. So there were laws governing that. And there was something else that, as as I said, Rich sent me this regarding my notes prior to the show, that one of the things you see in the New Testament is that the slave was elevated to the equal of his master in the eyes of God. When, when When the slave is commanded to honor his master, this, the master is told to treat his slave rightly, to treat, you know, especially when they were brothers in Christ. He says, you, you don't get to lord it over him. They were elevated to equals. Women and slaves were elevated in the Bible's command, in the commandments in Scripture. Think about it. If you go back to what we saw in early American slavery, and so many plantations, and the abuse that happened, the rapes that happened, the mistreatment. These are none of the things that the Bible allows for. You were elevated to the same level because you were a person in the eyes of God, and you had the same protections. So this idea that you know that that, that somehow the the Bible said slavery is okay, and then we point to American slavery, that's wrong. That's not what the Bible teaches. It puts protections in place. It puts rules in place. And it does not allow for abuse. And it elevates even in when we're looking at the New Testament. There's neither slave nor free. Greek nor Jew. Male nor female. Why? We're all elevated. We all have the same status before God. Our positions 
do not change our worth before God. So why is that important? Why is that absent from the from this article? Because it runs counter to what people like the the um, I think Thornwell I think is what I said. I apologize. Thornwell taught. Thornwell said it wasn't inconsistent with the will of God for slavery, and it wasn't si- sinful. You go back to 1961, and this preacher, uh, who uh, who had said. Uh, that God was good with segregation, that's contradictory. So NPR takes two men who, whatever their other Christian beliefs may have been, maybe they were good, maybe they were bad, whatever their other Christian beliefs may have been, they were wrong on this issue. But NPR elevates them and says, oh, well, this is... This is, they practice what the Bible teaches. They, they actually believe the Bible taught this. They don't contrast them with others in, during that era who would have taught differently. They elevate them and say they, they are the examples. Now, I grant you, one thing that is true is that men like this heavily influenced Christians in the South. And those type of teachings were persistent for a very long period of time. But for you to say that white supremacy has its roots in U.S. Christianity and then to point to two people and elevate them as the prime examples is absolutely not accurate a description of Christianity as a whole. You're taking two men who, granted, I'm sure they had a lot of influence back then, and they do talk about that, their influences. But they don't compare what they did and what they said with what the Bible actually teaches. You're left with the impression that this is Christianity as taught in America. And that this is Christianity as a whole during that era. That's inconsistent with actual truth. Because I'm sure if you went and studied throughout those two periods of time, there were plenty of people who taught, no, these men are wrong. Maybe they didn't have the prominence, but there were men and women who said this was wrong. And the Bible itself says it's wrong. They don't make that contention. They want to leave you with the impression that American Christianity uh, is tainted. So that's something else. That's the first thing to take think uh, for you to think of. So what about this issue of just racism in general? Remember, we go back to... Uh, you know, this Pastor Lyon from 1961 who said that segregation was okay. Well, let's, let's remember something. God condemns unjust hatred, pure and simple. Matthew 5.22 But I say to you that any, everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. Sermon on the Mount, Jesus himself saying, unjust anger. You are, you know, when you call someone a name, a, a, a foul name, you're under judgment. The Sermon on the Mount from Jesus Christ not only crushes you in what you can't do because you can't achieve those things, it's the condition of your heart. Anger, lust, 
All those things. Covetousness destroys you. Unjust anger for any reason is con is condemnable. You are you are liable to the hell of fire. First John three fifteen, whoever hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. To hate someone for any reason is equivalent in the eyes of God as to committing murder. Now, obviously, committing the murder is even more egregious, but it's a murder of the heart. You can't say you love God in one breath and you know spew foul hatred in another towards someone. And whether that's because of the color of their skin, because of their gender, or for any other unjust reason, and mind you, true godly hatred is we see in Christ when he hated those things that marred his father that blocked the way of salvation that you know mis uh, mis uh, applied and abused his commandments when he overturned the tables the, of the money changers it was because they had turned the temple the place that you come to god for prayer and for forgiveness it had turned it into a place of thievery they were selling salvation at a profit because of the exchange rates and taking the the you know the the lamb that was supposedly not oh it, it has a blemish here trade it out for this lamb and for a cost and then they put that lamb back into circulation it was a den of thieves that was holy hatred hatred of, that's because something bothers me because I'm offended because you've done something to upset me or because you exist and I don't like it that's unjust hatred, which is what most of us <laughs> occur with daily. Just get on the freeway, right? <laughs> so when we hate someone for any reason, especially for the color of their skin, we're committing a sin. So if you believe that you're better than someone else because of the mere shade of skin, because of the melanin count, you're in sin. There's no, there's no Christian teaching that allows for this. First John three fifteen, or excuse me, Acts seventeen twenty six. I got went backwards in my notes. I apologize. Acts seventeen twenty six, and he has made us from one man. And in the New King James and King James, it says one blood. So you've heard this before. We're all one blood. He has made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of the of their dwelling place. From one man, we all came. We are all one race. There's no justification for anyone to ever say that it, it's good to be segregated from someone. And by the way, those that are preaching, well, there should be black-only spaces now. They want to flip the script and and say, we're going to segregate away from the whites, and the white man is, is bad. This is what I'm talking about. This is an unjust hatred. This is denying. I mean, there, I, I'd have to go back and look for it, but there was actually, I want to say it was up in Washington, maybe even Seattle, one of the co-founders of Black Lives Matter, who believes that white people are genetic defects. This is an argument from... You know, the, the era of the civil rights when ignorant people who said the black man was a, was a, uh, was a genetic degenerate. 
now it's the script's been flipped. That's the same kind of hatred, that unjust, unrighteous hatred, because we are all made from one man, one blood. We are one race. So anyone who says that the Bible's okay with segregation is wrong. It's clear from Scripture. James 2 even condemns partiality. James is, is condemning the people who say, well, you know, you elevate the rich man who's going to sue you in court, by the way, and you tell the poor man, oh, go sit in the corner so nobody sees you. That partiality, treating one person different from another, condemns that. Christianity condemns mistreatment of others and the hateful thoughts and the, and the thoughts of superiority over others. So when we look at what NPR should be talking about from a theological perspective, which they don't do, is that these men should be examples of people who did not rightly understand what the scriptures taught. But that's not what they're doing. They're talking about the fact that these men are examples of U.S. Christianity and the influence in the South, and therefore white supremacy has its roots there. That's a big leap. It's not to say that there isn't connections to that, but it's a big leap. What we ought to rightly be saying is those men were dead wrong. They got scripture wrong. Why? Because of their own sinfulness. They were wrong. We should be willing to say that. The sad part is, is this is a hit piece. That's what this is. It's meant to draw certain conclusions. It doesn't compare what these men said and did with what Scripture actually teaches. It makes them the example of what Christianity in America was. Why were they doing these things? Well, they're either false preachers, unsaved, or men of their time. That seems like a, a kind of a cop-out, doesn't it, Chris? No, not really, Stop if you stop and think about it. See, unfortunately, we are all men and women of our time. You had people at a time when certain things were acceptable... And because of that, they made unbiblical, ungodly concessions to Scripture. And they used Scripture to, to justify it. Now, all of us do this in some capacity. We've all said, no, I don't, yeah, no, I'm okay with that. Yeah, yeah, I said a bad word, but, you know, I, I think, you know, God's okay. He understands it. That guy cut me off. We say these things. Well, you know, yeah, it's we shouldn't lie, but you know, I, I well, I don't want my wife to get upset with me when she she says I tell her the dress doesn't make her look, you know, doesn't look good on her. So you know, we make concessions. We all struggle with this. Every Christian does. Why? Because in our current state, we are not yet glorified. We are going through the process of sanctification, and so we do things wrong. We sin. That is why we need Jesus Christ and why we constantly go through the process of sanctification because we sin. And if you don't think that you can be tainted by the era you live in, well, let me give you an example. There are a lot of people, when you try to explain this, men of their time, they, they say that it is, in fact, a cop-out because if what you say is true and they are truly Christians, which they will tell you, the, you know, certain people were not, and you know, like they'll say Jonathan Edwards, for example, wasn't a Christian because he was okay with slavery. If, if what you're saying is true, there's no way he could have been a Christian because he would know this is wrong. Well, first off, they're coming at this a century later, you know, 
five, six, seven, eight decades down the road. And they can look back and say, back then was bad. And they kind of have this historical snobbery. Well, I would have never believed such a thing. Well, let me give you the example of how I know they are men of their time. Because there's very these very same people who will tell you, people like, say, Jonathan Edwards was not a Christian, but, uh, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. was, even though he preached heresy. Well, Martin Luther King, he fought against uh, racism. Jonathan Edwards didn't. That's how I know he's not, uh, you know, he uh, that King was a Christian, Edwards wasn't. And don't give me this men of their time nonsense. These are the same men who will promote... <laughs> radical, pro-abortionist, leftist politicians. And when you go, whoa, time out. That person is pro-abortion. And in this country, abortion kills more black children than anything else in this world. Kills them right in the womb. How can you possibly promote this individual? Oh, that person, that person is pro-racial and social justice. So we got to deal with that issue first. Then we'll talk about abortion. But that person, they are in favor of racial and social justice. So therefore, I have to vote for that person as opposed to that other guy in the White House who I just know is a racist. They made a massive compromise. Massive compromise. They are saying that it's acceptable to ignore the blatant promotion of sin so they can get the right guy in office for the issues that they want. We are men and women of our times. We are affected by the thinking of the world. That's quite simply the problem. When you have men and women, historically, who have been impacted by the thinking of their day and not have fully devoted themselves to the preaching and teaching of Scripture and understanding it and rightly applying it, you're going to get people who make bad, bad choices. And the promotion of slavery as it was in the South, in the early days, in early America, up through the Civil War, and the segregation of, and the Jim Crow laws of the, uh, of the Civil Rights era, when you had Christians who said it was, the, no, we have to support this, were they actually looking at Scripture or were they looking to their times? The simple fact was they were looking to their times. So NPR wants to elevate them and say, well, this is what Christianity was. And then it goes into the last portion of this where it compares this idea of modern-day Christianity, which obviously drew from these examples that we gave. These were clear examples. And so now you have Christians who don't want to rock the boat. They just want to preach the gospel. They just want to say it's about individual salvation, and they're not worried about overturning bad systems. That's what this article says. Why is that an issue? Well, let's, let's talk about what the, the, the point of the church is. Christianity condemns what we just talked about, that condemns these issues. But this article wants to promote the critical race theory mindset, which is there's systems in place, injustices, that the church simply isn't recognizing. It's only thinking about individuals. But there's systems that are in place that need to be dealt with. Why is that important? 
Well, we've talked about this on the show, and if you ever listen to guys like Daryl that I was talking about earlier from Just Thinking, critical race theory is all about tearing down supposed systems of power and elevating a new system. That's why this is a problem, because the church, the mission of the church is to preach the gospel, to call out the unsaved to repentance, to equip Christians to live righteously before God so that they can go out, make disciples, and keep this process going over and over and over again. And we are to live righteously so that we honor our God, the one who bought us with a price, the one who changed us and made us new, who redeemed us and made us his own and brought us into his family. Look at everything that scripture teaches. Do you ever see anything about the overthrow of a political system? Think about Rome, of the, you know, the Roman era and the time of Christ. People like Emperor Nero. Do we see any command to overthrow this? No. What we see is to live righteously in an evil age. To submit to authority even when it's clearly evil and against God because authorities are established by God. Now, that doesn't mean that we're, you know, we're doormats, that we don't speak up and stand for what is right and true. We see that Paul did that as a Roman citizen. He stood up when he said, hey, uh, is it right to treat a Roman citizen this way? And they went, oops, we really messed up. And when he appealed to Caesar, when he was unjustly accused, he, he asserted his right as a Roman citizen. Can we do that? Of course we can. In fact, can we go one step further? Can we preach against sinfulness of a government? You bet. John the Baptist did that with Herod. He said to Herod, it's not right for you to have your brother's wife. He was imprisoned and later lost his head for doing so. But we can do that. We can call out to a government that says it's right to murder children in the room. Every woman can do that. We can have them slaughtered in the womb. That's a woman's right. We as Christians can say, you're wrong and you're in sin. Repent. When the, when the government says it is right for the pro, uh, we, to profane marriage, it is right to elevate sexual perversion to a lifestyle that everybody must celebrate, we can say, repent. It is wrong. It is a sin against God. And if a government was to come out and say it is a right to oppress a class of people for any reason, we would say repent because it is wrong to oppress. But that is what we are, we are called to, we are to call them to repentance in Christ for their sin. That's our command. We are to call them to repentance. We are to speak out against sin. But we never are commanded to go out and tear down political structures, and elevate other structures in their place. Why? Because as Christians, our, this world is not our home. We are looking to a heavenly kingdom. We are looking to Christ, who will one day have the government on his shoulders. We are passing through here. It doesn't mean we don't stand up for what is right. It doesn't mean with our ability to vote that we don't practice good voting. It doesn't mean that we can't take a stand against that which we believe to be wrong. It just means that's not the primary mission of the church, which is what NPR says it is. 
NPR is now dictating, not scripture, NPR is dictating how the church should practice. They are calling us to their standard of scripture, their standard of religious practice. That's the problem. All of this is important because I believe the, art, the article intentionally overlooks what our mission is. It is intending to paint Christians, especially Christians in the South, as simple-minded. They're just not thinking these issues through. They don't understand. They could be impacting culture so much for this right thing. And, and, and they've, they've used the Bible to, to promote racism and segregation and, and all these things. And then here's our example of these Christians who practice racial reconciliation. This is what the church should do. This is how the church should be. Not these simple-minded people who just say preach the gospel. It's a false dichotomy. It's saying that you're either only concerned about keeping the status quo because that's all you're concerned about. Just, just preach the gospel because well, we, don't, we don't really want to change anything. Or you have to be concerned about changing things for the betterment of your community. It's a false choice. Because the church has a different mandate from God. We're to preach righteousness, holiness, conversion by the Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ, evangelism, discipleship, sanctification. And guess what? If you do those things, those people who are in Christ, they go back out into the world and how do they live? Righteousness, holiness, service to God, selflessness. You want that. But see, for the critical race theory mindset, that's not enough. Because it doesn't change what we want changed. It doesn't tear down power structures and elevate new structures. So we're not, we shouldn't be fooled. There is a battle line being drawn here. This is about the authority and the sufficiency of Scripture. It is a, there is a war being drawn up. On one side, you have the Bible, the Word of God. And on the other side, you have the religious dogma of critical theory. And it is a religious dogma. It has its books, it has its high priests, it has its means of atonement. It is a religious system. That's the battle line. That's where the, the, the sides are drawn up. And what we're being told is if we do not come to the side of the critical theorist as a church, then we will be dismantled. We will be torn down as forcefully as every historical monument that we're seeing on the evening news today. The Christian church is being seen as an outdated, outmoded, useless, and offensive monument of history. And it either must conform to the new way of thinking or it must be removed. That's what this, why this particular, excuse me, this particular article, this news spot on NPR is important. Because this is the foundational argument for tearing down Christianity in America and erecting a new, quote, church. It won't be the church of God. It will be the church of the critical theorist. Christians, are we ready for that? Are we ready for that battle? When you read this article, and I encourage you to do so, look at the picture they're painting and look what they're leaving out. This is an emotional hit piece. It's, a meant, to, it's meant to make you feel something. It's meant to make you feel bad that racism has occurred, slavery occurred, 
there were Christians who were wrong, or I will say Christians, at least in name, whether they were or not. I don't know anything about Thornwell. I don't know anything about uh, Pastor Lyons. Neither does anybody else who reads this article. So you're going to walk away being told these were icons of Christianity and they laid the foundation for white supremacy. But they give no comparison to others during their time who publicly agreed or disagreed with them. They give no comparison to what scripture teaches and what preachers today have come to understand. They do kind of give a token um, acknowledgement that certain passages in scripture that people like Thornwell pointed to aren't seen as supportive of that kind of slavery. And that's about as far as they take it. This is an emotional appeal for the church to change path or get run over. And that's where this is headed. And I believe what we will soon see is a push to tear down the church. And that's why you see people on places like Facebook and Twitter referring to toxic Christianity. Well, Christianity, it doesn't fight against this. Christianity is responsible for this because it teaches this kind of thing is okay. Without any knowledge of what Christianity actually teaches. So I thought it was important to go over this article um, and, and point out those issues. I'm not going to sit here and prop myself up as some sort of expert to be listened to, but I want you to think about these things when you come across these articles and these arguments, because you will. Look, all of us know people who aren't Christians. All of us are friends with some of these people, and some of these people are, being, are absolutely being moved by what's happening in this world right now. You know, I made an appeal not long ago. I said, look, if you if you know me on social media and you really believe that riots are a great answer, or if you think, you know, you want to say a, a slur toward the police, I won't use the word, but um, using the word for fornication with regard to the police, uh, do me a favor and just unfriend me because I can't deal with that kind of hatred. There are people that I know that are being moved by this. They're not looking to Scripture to see if it's true. They just take it as gospel. Are you ready to engage that? Are you ready to engage that kind of thinking? Pastors, are you equipping your churches to deal with that kind of thinking? Because that's what they're facing right now. That's where this is headed. NPR has fired a shot across the bow of the church and has said, man up and come on board the, the SS critical race theory or we're going to sink you. That's what they've done. Please don't dismiss this as, well, it's just NPR, we expect that. Ten years ago, might you have been able to say that? Maybe. Now? When... When a pancake syrup caved in a heartbeat? When, when, um, when products that have been so well known for their, for their mascots are suddenly just ditching them as fast as they can? Can we really 
think that this doesn't matter now? That's just liberal thinking? No. This is becoming the standard of thinking. So I hope this has caused you two things. Number one, to just think more clearly on these issues. But number two, to turn to the Word of God and see and search for answers. Don't turn to me. Don't turn to Rich. Uh, don't turn to any other podcast, though they can be helpful. Turn to the Word of God. Because NPR sure didn't. They turned a few pages in a history book and then they went for some deep appeals. You have to know your word. You have to know the word well enough to be able to talk about these issues. And you may not, you know, Rich and I don't fully agree on the, on, on the issue of things like indentured servitude and stuff like that. He has a different perspective and that's fine. But can you defend it biblically? Can you go to the word of God and explain why, you know, Pastor Lyons or uh, James Henley Thornwell was wrong on an issue. Can you? I hope you can. Are you teaching your kids? Because their friends are, they're watching YouTube. I have conversations with my boys all the time and they're in their teens. And I challenge them sometimes on the same things that they're being told. And I have to listen to them, by the way. Don't just dismiss them. Listen to them, by the way. And I challenge them with what's being said with what they need to think about what the Word of God says. And it causes them to think. You can see the gears turning. Are you teaching your children how to respond? It's really important, folks. It's really, really important that you think about this. It's really important that you spend time in the Word of God, spend time in prayer. And by the way, if I can just encourage you, please do so with a heart of love. Stand firm. Absolutely. Let's not be, you know, let's... Okay, I'll give you an example. Look, I'm not a big fan of government telling me I have to wear a mask when I go into a store. I've been pretty vocal about that. But when I go into a store, I don't want the store to get in trouble, so I wear my mask. I don't like it, but I do it out of respect for the people there. I don't want to be like the knucklehead woman who walked into a Whole Foods and screamed, you're a bunch of Democrat pigs, threw her her basket at them and stormed off. She and I would probably agree... About the uh, the you know certain you know about the mandate about the masks, but how she acted and how I try to act are going to be different. Why? Because I have a God that I need to answer to. How we treat people who disagree with us is very important. Remember whom you serve. Disagree, that's fine. Stand firm by all means. Preach the gospel without apology by all means. Don't be a jerk please? These are ten, the times that we are living in are tense, and that's putting it mildly. We need to be counter-cultural. We need to be different from the world. We need to respond with a heart of love. This is a time when we can be turning people to Christ through the preaching of the gospel. This, the gospel spreads in times of persecution, spreads in times of turmoil. How? Because people need something to turn to. They need an answer, and the answer is Christ. There are people today who think that the answer is going to be government, that a better government, a socialist government, a Marxist government's the savior. It is, we know for a fact from history, it is a destroyer. There is no salvation in government. I don't care what kind of government it is. But we know where there is salvation, and that's in Jesus Christ. 
Let's take that message out there and know your Bibles and be prepared to defend the truth. And if you don't know an answer, be willing to say so and be willing to do some research and be willing to listen to the people enough to understand them. Okay, let's do that. But let's be ready. Let's not be ignorant. I think a lot of us were caught by surprise when the social justice movement was revealed to have deep hooks inside the evangelical church. We just really didn't pay attention. And suddenly it reared its ugly head and it was deeply entrenched in evangelicalism. Let's no longer be ignorant. Let's be wise as serpents, harmless as doves. Be wise about what's going around. At least pay attention. And be willing to respond biblically. And let's be prepared for the, the persecution I truly believe is coming much sooner than we any of us ever thought. And let's prepare, pastors, prepare your next generation. I think it was Vody Balcom that referred to multi-generational faithfulness. Prepare not only the people in your pews now, but prepare them to prepare their children so they can prepare their children and prepare their children. Don't assume that all of this is going away in November. I think a lot of it will. Some of this is not gone, is not going to go away at all. And we need to be ready for that. All right, so that's been the topic tonight. And I managed to yammer away for an hour and 13 minutes all by myself. I'm sorry to have you know, burned your ears off. I hope this has been helpful. I hope this makes you think. I hope this makes you turn back to the Word of God and be better equipped. Um, again, I'm going to ask you to pray for my buddy Rich and his family. Uh, just pray that God would give him some relief and that he'd feel better and he'll be back next week. Uh, we thank you for joining us each and every week. We thank you for the fact that you're sharing this stuff and that every once in a while we just hear some, some wonderful things from you guys. And uh, thank you for that. It's, it's just humbling when we hear from you and how much this show sometimes means to you guys. That's not me begging for kudos by the way i'm not i'm not doing that but i just want you to know that we do appreciate it and we are so grateful for it so we look forward to talking with you next week i want my buddy rich back because i feel so weird talking by myself and uh, we look forward to continuing to encourage you to glorify god in all that you do to preach the gospel and go out and edify your brethren strengthen them and love them and we will see you next time god bless good night we'll see you then mm -hmm.